In Greek mythology, Phaeton was having paternity concerns. He wanted proof that his father was, in fact, as he believed, the sun god Helios. Now, these were ancient times, probably in sepia tones, if not in black and white, and thoroughly lacking in the technology to test for paternity at a genetic level. So, Phaeton sought his affirmation through driving his probable dad's chariot, which was pulled by angry, flame-breathing horses and just so happened to be the sun. Now, according to Ovid, even Jupiter, king of all the gods, was afraid to drive Helios's chariot. Needless to say, Phaeton, with his daddy issues riding Pillion, was adamant. Myth has it that Phaeton flew the sun chariot too high and that the earth froze. Then Phaeton rode the sun chariot too low and the earth burned, turning lakes to deserts and blackening the skin of people of Ethiopia. It's basically a tale of a flying racist Goldilocks. But to put a halt to this destructive joyride, a lightning bolt was thrown at the chariot, setting the sun at the correct altitude, levelling out the planet's climate, but in the process, sending Phaeton plummeting down to earth and to his death. Now here's where this week's tree enters our story. Phaeton's seven sisters, the Heliades, flocked to where Phaeton fell and wept seemingly without end over the arrogant demise of their brother. That was at least until the gods eventually got so fed up with their incessant wailing that the women were all transformed into this week's tree. The Heliades also supposedly cried lakes of tears, which satisfies those who love an unnecessary extended metaphor because this week's trees love to grow in boggy terrain. Hashtag fact. So, such a myth of scale as this, one that speaks of climate change and one that speaks of the risks of planetary misalignment, launches one of my all-time favourite trees. Tree number 15. Black poplar. The black poplar. Populus nigra. And if you thought I'd forgotten about Bella's jingle this week, you thought wrong. Secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British Isles. Black poplars are extraordinary. For starters, they are big, reaching around 32 metres in height. And in Big BP's case, big definitely means beautiful. They've elegantly defined heart-shaped leaves and a rich dark brown bark, almost black, hence the name. This black bark provides excellent contrast for an extrovertly stunning display when the stark scarlet catkins, appropriately nicknamed Devil's Fingers, emerge on the male trees and when the female tree's yellowy catkins explode into a bright white candy floss once fertilised. They are sexy and I love them. Now, just like last week's willows, the poplars are members of the Salicaceae. But whereas willows benefit from both wind and insect pollination, poplars are pollinated purely by the winds. As such, the catkins of the poplar can be seen to dangle, whilst willow catkins are more rigid and upright, which bees prefer much better. But despite not needing the insects for pollination, poplar nectar and pollen provides perfect sustenance for the hungry insects at the start of spring. Unfortunately, however, unlike our willows, which you can find basically growing in a handbag, you may well struggle to find a wild-growing black poplar. So, in the words of Paula Cole, where have all our black poplars gone? That's such a niche joke. For one, favouring damp soil meant the tree was often restricted to floodplains, and drainage of these for farmland or housing estates, etc., has dramatically reduced its successes here. For two, the wood was a great building material, and we used to chop down shed loads of them. 
It is springy, making it perfect for cartwheels and wagon bottoms, and it is fire-resistant, which meant in the days of candles and oil lamps it was extremely valuable and used extensively for floorboards or for thatching spars. But today, the Forestry Commission has labelled the black poplar the rarest of our native timber trees. And not only is it rare, but out of the roughly 7,000 wild black poplars which are currently standing in Britain, only 600 of these are female. That's a ratio of roughly 11 male to one female tree, which, as chance would have it, is the inverse ratio of my university course, which had 11 female students for every male. Fortunately for us, however, we did not rely upon the winter breed, and we were there to learn the nuance of the English language, not to ensure the survival of a genetically diverse forest. In practice, the limited number of wild black poplars makes it extremely unlikely that they will ever pollinate each other, which leads to two major problems other than simply the loss of a mighty species. One, the abundance of other poplar species and the previously detailed immoral proclivity of all within the Salicaceae to cross-pollinate, see my episode on the sexually depraved willows, means that often the resulting seed will not bear a true black poplar, but will only have the DNA of one true black poplar parent. And two, in order to boost the number of black poplars, woods people, that sounds like a race from an Ursula Le Guin novel, have often upped the poplar population, popularation, through layering, a kind of human-led vegetative reproduction. Now, layering is when you gently lever a branch onto the ground and split it slightly at the point the branch touches the soil. The tree will then put out new shoots from the exposed heartwood, and from these shoots, the roots of a new tree should grow. But, here's the but. These trees are clones. They are identical. There was no windy pollen kissing between one male black poplar's sexy red devil's fingers and another black poplar's sexy yellowy green catkins. And so each time a black poplar is created vegetatively in this manner, the gene pool becomes increasingly monotone and whole populations become less able to weather diseases, which is rubbish if you're a poplar, as poplars are prone to a large variety of diseases, such as cankers, such as leaf rusts, and such as poplar scab. But this form of vegetative reproduction does benefit mankind. Should one particular tree prove extra pretty or be great at resisting pollution, then mankind can intervene to reproduce endless copies of this special cultivar. There is, slash was, a particular pollution-resistant cultivar of the black poplar known as the Manchester poplar. It could survive, and indeed thrive, in the smog of industrial Manchester like nothing else, during the interwar years, when unemployment was rife, it was repeatedly propagated vegetatively by those employed on the unemployment relief works who would cycle around Manchester and plant a cutting wherever they bally well felt like it. For decades, Manchester was full of these wonderful trees. That was until the 2000s, when poplar scab set in upon the whole population of trees and had no issue with decimating the lot. There is another particular cultivar of the black poplar called Populus nigra italica, or the Lombardy poplar to its friends. The Lombardy poplar is a male black poplar from northern Italy that has been cloned endlessly since the 18th century due to its fast growth rate and branches that grow almost vertically, which gives it a truly distinctive ornamental shape. It looks like Thunderbird 3 with its stabilising legs torn off in a freak meteor collision. Or, if you prefer, like a mighty willow leaf reaching upwards into the sky. For years, 
I have to admit, having never really encountered these trees in the wild, I thought all black poplars looked like this. They do not. Anyway, in 1987, the Dutch artist Marinus Lambertus van der Boert, so I hope I got that right, planted 178 Lombardy poplars in a shape 150 metres long, 75 metres wide, and, now that they're mature, 30 metres tall. His design mimics exactly the size and the shape of Reims Cathedral. The Green Cathedral, as it's known, is in use hosting outside weddings and funerals on plan. And, if you ask me, it seems to mark where Phaeton must have fallen and where his sisters remain mourning to this day. Next week, native poplar number two, the Aspen, another stonker of a tree. Anyway, thank you for listening. Bye-bye for now. Uprooting the secrets and stories beneath the 56-ish native trees of the British Isles. Hi, me again, and a quick addendum for you all. A wonderfully wise follower of the show, one of our Patreon subscribers, no less, wrote in this weekend gone, having listened to a preview of this week's episode on the Black Poplar. She wrote to remind me that, like many paintings of the time, the Mona Lisa is painted upon a panel of wood. A panel made from, you've guessed it, poplar wood. Now, Da Vinci had occasionally painted on canvas prior to this 1503 masterpiece, but up until the mid-16th century, wood was by far the most popular support for Italians to work upon. Leonardo's Lady with the Ermine, for example, is painted upon a walnut wood panel. Now, the reason why this factet is appearing as an addendum and not integrated into the main body of this episode is not simply to highlight the power you, dear listener, can wield by becoming a Patreon subscriber but it's primarily because I cannot find for certain what species of poplar was used for the Mona Lisa. At least one source, one that rhymes with Schmickopedia, a source I tend to treat with a pinch of salt, suggests that the Mona Lisa was indeed painted upon Lombardy poplar panels, which, if you've been listening correctly, is a cultivar of this week's black poplar. Another source simply says that the wood used was from Lombardy, And that doesn't prove anything. A pine in Scotland, for example, cannot be guaranteed to be a Scots pine. And to top this off, it is pretty much universally accepted that Leonardo was painting the Mona Lisa in Tuscany, not Lombardy, and as such would have sourced a local wood anyway, one presumes, and Tuscany has far fewer poplars than Lombardy. So I guess my point is, if you work at the Louvre, or if you're a bona fide art historian and can help me track down which species exactly of poplar the Mona Lisa is painted upon, I will be very much obliged. Oh, and join our Patreon. Bye-bye.